Hi everybody, I'm Jim Ford. And I'm Corwin Kroll. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 79. Yes, 79. For Corwin, uh, it hasn't been a long time since you've been on the show, but it has been a long time since we've done a Brightest Day episode. Oh yeah, it's been it's been a little bit, and uh, I know the listeners out there clamoring for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm 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 sure they're clamoring for it. The one thing that I had to say about you know doing this because you know we're doing issues eight through thirteen. Now at the time that we're recording this, they've they've obviously come out with you know a bunch more issues past thirteen. I think they're at like seventeen now. You are absolutely right. So. Yeah, so having to go back like that far in this series was was fairly torturous, I would have to say. Just because like we've advanced so far along with the story, you know, that going back to issue 8, it was just like you know, okay, what was going on here again? Yeah, yeah, well, what was going on here? And it's like it's like wow, you know, everything's really, you know, changed quite a bit since you know, from here till you know, issue 17 or whatever. But we still haven't felt the effects of issue 11 as well, which we'll, you know, we'll get to it. But there's still some things that we haven't seen that's, that's happened. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, there, there, there's definitely a bunch of, bunch of like, little things that have not been answered yet. So, But we're, we're just going to take into account 8 through 13. So if you haven't read past 13, we're not going to spoil that stuff. Yes, 17 was the last one, so you were right. Okay, so uh, we'll we'll jump in with uh, with number eighteen. Uh, number eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with my future knowledge, I'm going to spoil everything for everybody. <laughs> okay, issue eight. Uh, we have uh, you know coming off of issue seven, all the White Lanterns just saw what their mission is. So you know, Dead Man he has to go find a champion, and as he's like zapping out of existence to go try and find Green Lantern. Dove is going to come along for the ride. She she kind of hitches on without Deadman realizing. Then we uh, we cut over to Ms. Martian and uh, Martian Manhunter. She was just uh, saved by Martian Manhunter when he got his White Lantern vision. You know she got healed, so she is she then passes on her psychic info on the you know the Green Lantern, uh, Green Lantern. Wow. Uh, She passes the info on uh, as far as the fact that she was attacked by a green Martian. Uh, Up till now, John Johns had always thought that he was the last of the green Martians. Uh, And also, Miss Martian is a white Martian. I think we went over that last time. Yes. Then we cut over to Hawkworld, where Hawkman is talking with the Lion Mane tribe, or, you know, some, one of the dudes from the Lion Mane tribe. He wants to basically plan a, a battle battle plan to save Shyara. Uh, meanwhile, he learns the history of Hawkworld, uh, as far as it being the bridge between Earth and Thanagar. They mine the nth metal there, and uh, I guess like 2,000 years ago or so, the queen that is now in charge of Hawkworld came from Earth and took over. And then we cut to the the floating city, where the, the queen reigns and uh, Shyera is being held captive. She's, uh, she's fighting for her life, basically. You're like, they've some, they've captured her, but she's kind of like fighting. And, 
like all all the the lackeys, like she's taken them out. But you know the combined might between Hathset and this this Queen Shrike, you know they they're able to subdue her, and that's when she finds out that Queen Shrike is her mother. Dun, dun, dun. Quick cut to the Martian Manhunter and Ms. Martian. They they combine their their psychic powers and. Uh, they determine that what they're looking for is in the forest of Star City, where it's a psychic black hole. So Martian Manhunter sets his sights on that forest. And that's the issue. Funny thing, I've actually just recently, as I was saying on episode uh, 75, I was saying how I read Morrison's JLA. Mm-hmm. And that first story arc was the ship of the White Martians coming to Earth and trying to take over. Right. So it was pretty interesting to see, you know, some of the roots of that story. Now, I think it, it says that he, they store the White Martians in the Still Zone. Yes. Now, I mean, like I've heard of the Phantom Zone. What's the difference? It's pretty similar to that. They don't really get into any heavy details with it, but it, it's like this kind of side place that's out of sync with uh, reality, I guess you can say, or our dimension. So it's just like some. It is like the Phantom Zone, basically. I don't. You know, they didn't get too far into it. And they just kind of sit still in there? Well, they're trapped, yeah. They've been, like, sedated. So at the end of that arc is when they were sedated and they, uh, Martian Manhunter put that ship in that dimension and stuff. So uh, it, you didn't really figure out it was Martians until, like, the last half of the last... It's like a five-issue arc, probably around issue three. In the middle of issue three, you figure out who they are and what they're up to. And, of course, it's pretty cool because... Morrison played up Batman to be the hero of the story. All the super, everybody else got taken down by the Martians. Superman, Martian Manhunter, Wonder Woman, you know, Green Lantern. All of them got taken down, and the Martians were like totally uh, under um, underestimating Batman since he had no powers, and he was the one who ended up taking them down. So it, it was an interesting arc. But yeah, at the end of that one, they kind of sealed them away in this other dimension. It looks pretty much like we saw it in um, whatever issue that was. We saw them in. I think it was seven, six or seven. Yeah, but it looks exactly exactly like it looked in that issue. Gotcha. Yeah, now this issue starting, you know, starting right off at the very beginning. Um I you know, I I just I keep getting this feeling that like the way that Dove is kind of like bonding with Deadman and like she's kind of she's pulling away from her partner Hawk and she's like, you know, really just buddying up with Deadman. Now, I mean, okay, so maybe there are some some uh, foundations for, you know, something more than friendship there. But, like, the thing that I keep thinking about is that, like, you know, she she wants, you know, she's like, you know, I'm, I'll come with you, I'll help, you know, don't worry, you know, I'll, I'll be right by your side. It, I, I, I think I've said this in the, the past episode, that it seems to me like it's going to be like that, that final scene of Pleasantville. Yeah. I, I, I did say that, right? Yes, you did. And I get that feeling even more so here where it's like something's going to happen and, you know, Hawk is going to either die or fade out or something like that. It's like it's almost as if they brought him back just to demonstrate that he has no place in the DC universe right now. I don't know, but it's the the affection is there. You can see it in the body language, especially with in the diner when, um you know, he was eating the hamburger. They 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 made they made sure you notice how she was holding his hand, she was touching him, and even here when he's about to leave, she just kind of leaps and grabs onto his arm. So 
they're building it definitely. Yeah, yeah. Which I have a theory about about that, but I'll I'll wait until one of the further episodes to get into that. Yeah, one of the other things that I was looking up was because uh, Hawkman mentions that he's come across you know a member of the Lion Main tribe before. So you're really going to open that can of worms with with the Hawk origins? Well, Hawkman, Hawkwoman origins. Let me let me let me be specific because I know one uh one listener got confused with me saying Hawk, you know, Dove and Hawk or the Hawkwoman and Hawkman. Right. So Hawk Hawkwoman and Hawkman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if there's an S at the end, then it's Hawkman and Hawkwoman. The Hawks. The Hawks. If there it's we just go. Hawk, then it's Hawk and Dove. Yeah. So well, yeah. Not not to get too much into it, but um, in the past, Hawkman has gone up against a character called Lion Mane who apparently is like his one of his friends you know like a, re- a regular guy that uh when he touches the Mithra meteor he gets transformed into a were lion uh it's apparently from like an alien race that sent these meteors to earth to kind of terraform the earth into being uh suitable for the aliens and I, what I thought was really ridiculous was that this meteor, it's like, if you touch it, you turn into a were lion. Okay, simple enough. If you break the meteor, then you turn back. But, like, that would that would mean that there's a specific size at which the meteor has, you know, gives you these, these abilities, and if you break it into a smaller size... I don't know if there's like nanotechnology running through the meteor. It just seems like a very, very flawed concept. Oh, so the way you make it sounds like the meteor actually goes back to, can, you know, you can put it back together. But no, it's just. No, actually, it's like once you break the meteor, like that's it. Oh. Like, you know, if it's a meteor, you would think, okay, well, it's giving off a radiation that affects you. So breaking into smaller pieces. You would think, yeah, just you know, assemble them back together, or group all the rocks together, and that should give you enough radiation to do the exact same thing. But instead, the way that they kept on bringing this character back was uh, to explain that there were a bunch of meteorites all around the Earth, um, and a bunch of them were even in museums. Mm. Now, how they got these these meteors into the museums without anybody ever accidentally touching them. <laughs> I Again, I don't understand the logistics. If it was that radioactive, you know, that they knew not to touch it. Yeah, maybe they knew they wore suits and stuff. It was giving off a certain amount of radiation. I wouldn't doubt it. You know, they have their, their procedures. But if that's true, then why would they put it in a museum? Oh, it's like uncovered? Like not within glass or anything? It's like it's under glass, but... You know, like, glass doesn't prevent radiation from seeping out. <laughs> okay, here we go. It's specially treated glass that was given to them from Superman. There we go. Touche, <laughs> <laughs> touche. You, you can't linger on the logistics too much. As, as None of this stuff would actually make any sense. Yeah, well, I mean, it, this you were talking about a Silver Age villain, so... <laughs> oh, sure. Didn't have to make sense, I guess. Not back then, no. Yeah, I guess uh, the other the other thing that I thought was notable was uh, the, the Queen Shrike, um, Shaira's mother. She makes a point of 
of saying how she had her her father's rage. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I doubt that they'll do anything with it, but when you're talking about a book that, you know, is spinning out of a book based around Green Lanterns and one of them is rage, it's just interesting to point out. Well, will she get a red ring? I mean, is that is that kind of obvious since she's already linked to love? You know, is she going to flip to the complete other side of the spectrum? Interesting thing, but it may be a little bit obvious, but, I mean... Who knows if given a good enough reason anybody can can uh give in to the rage. I mean if Hawkman ends up getting severely injured, I can see her flipping out. Not to mention well, question, is she is is she as violent as Carter is? I don't I don't know if she's as violent, but she's definitely capable of enough violence herself. Cause I, one of the traits that I don't know if I've gotten it from actually reading issues or it's just kind of a known thing, but Hawkman is very, very kind of brute rough and and angry, I guess, is the proper term. He's a very rough person. So I could see him easily getting angry and stuff. But her, I don't know if it's a trait amongst the Hawks or not for them to be that way. But uh, in the right context, I wouldn't mind. I just, you know, not looking forward to everybody getting a different color just because. Yeah, yeah. Good point. The uh, the, the, the statues, well, what were you going to say? I was going to say the art. As much as I'm not... The hawk, the the hawks are not really my favorite part of Brightest Day. The art on this is just gorgeous, but we'll get to that in a second. Go back to the statues. Go ahead. Yeah, the the statues on Hawk World. You have um, an eagle and uh, what looks like a man, um, mm-hmm. like kneeling in front of the the eagle man, and it says that their names are their true names are lost to the ages. So, like, chances are, like, this is some sort of like pivotal moment. Do you think that, you know, well, one, do you think that these people are going to actually have any relation to anything else? And do you think that we'll find out who they are? I think this is probably the beginning of the, I forget which one is which, the Thanagarians? Are they the ones with the wings? Uh, Thanag- yeah. Or the Ran, I, I think it's the Thanagarians. Yeah, I think this is the beginning of their their culture right there when they when man first got wings because supposedly according to this origin now the Thanagarians are really people who came from earth and got stuck in this middle dimension for a while before moving on to Thanagar so uh, I'm thinking that's probably the origin of the Thanagarians where whoever the writer is I don't know if it's Johns or Tomasi is trying to streamline the Hawks origin and still make it all make sense without you know negating a lot of stuff that was told before Mm. That's a good point. Good point. Uh, now, the origin of, well, you know, why there is a hawk world, that it's the bridge between Earth and Thanagar. Does that make any sense to you? It makes sense. I'm, I'm not too big on my DC lore and history, but, I mean, it makes sense to me. It's just a middle dimension where some of them end up staying before, and some of them move on to Thanagar. It, it, it makes sense that, why would the Thanagarians even look human? How many other races out there are, look so close to humans? You know, that, I, I would be wondering about that link right there as well. Well, I mean, not so much the fact that they are connected. Like, it's it's a, it's a good enough reason that there would be, like, a way to get to Thanagar from Earth. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, to have just, like, this random Hawkworld place... That happens to exist as a bridge between two planets. I mean, like, that either is completely random or 
very specific. And if it's completely random, then that does that mean that there are other planets that are, you know, other dimension planets that are bridges between other planets? I would say so. Then yeah, if this is if this applies, then I don't see why it wouldn't anywhere else. I mean, that's now that that's an well, that's like a really huge, interesting concept that I kind of doubt that we'll ever see again. But like the potential is there. Well, well, consider this then. Well, um, let's not jump in. Let let me write this down. I, I have something we'll touch on, but I don't want to spoil something that's going to be happening in the future issue. So let me write write myself a note real quick when it comes to these dimensions, because I'm thinking, wouldn't it be possible that there'd be more of these and a specific number? Look at that page where they're showing the the origin. Okay. The middle circle. There's other circles inside of it. Take note of take note of how many you can actually see. Well, there would be. Oh, oh. So let's let's wait until later on down the line when we get to another certain issue where something specific happens, and maybe, maybe this would be an explanation for something, Green Lantern related. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, that's that's brilliant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You inspired that one. Yeah, that's that's good. That's very very good. Okay. Yeah. So so you do like the art? Oh, loving the art. I mean, it's it's the one artist we've known on Green Lantern for the longest time, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I'm not even gonna say his name. I'll leave the pronunciation to you. <laughs> Ivan Reese. <laughs> Where's Dan? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. No. This is it's definitely it, it's fantastic. I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head who. Oh, yeah, David Finch to the cover. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah, good cover. And of and of course we have Tomasi doing the, the green not Tomasi Gleason sorry doing the art on a the Martian, Martian Manhunter. Right. Right. How 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 do you feel about them starting to dedicate whole issues to one certain story part story art because this issue. We do get a f- well, quite a few pages of Martian Manhunter, but at the heart of it, you know, it's mainly a Hawks issue. Hawks issue. Yes, I I kind of think it's somewhat necessary in order to tell like you know certain parts of the story because like to just give a, you know the origin of Hawk World, you know what what Hawk World is, and not have anything else you know regarding the Hawks. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's enough to satisfy, you know, the Hawk interest for a month. Okay. So, I I mean, like, yeah, there are certain points where, like, I, I think we, we get a, basically a whole issue of the Martian Manhunter coming up, or uh, you get, like, the, the issue where it's nothing but Aquaman and Firestorm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do find myself saying it's like, you know, I wish that they would focus on, you know, one of the other characters. Uh, and in, in some of those issues, it's kind of like, you know, well, maybe they could have cut out some pages here and there and give us, given us like a quick little, you know, catch up with somebody else. But I guess, you know, for the same reason that they have to do this many pages of Hawks, you know, they couldn't just do a page or two on somebody else because, you know, it would be like, it would be unsatisfying. Yes, a tease. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. I hear you, but I, I, I guess it does balance out because you get the you get a full issue of something that you really love, and then you know something that you might not like that much. But 
you only got a two week wait for the most part. So that's a that's a positive thing. But um, good issue. The the reveal of her mother was kind of it was kind of a surprise. I wasn't totally floored by it, but it was just like oh, oh okay, this is different, especially for her being as young as she looks. Yeah, yeah. That that was like it's odd that she's lived for so long. I liked it. I I, I was actually more intrigued by you know the whole hawk you know origin yeah it makes sense i mean john's is piecing it you know he's piecing it together definitely piecing it together and the the wall paintings and stuff is always cool stuff to try to look for and figure out in those kind of things there as well i'm i'm not too keen on the the animal people but you know take it take it and just move on take it in stride yeah yeah shall we go to issue 9 Let's guess. Let's move on to Brightest Day number nine. Nice cover with a Green Arrow and Martian Manhunter. Uh, basically, this issue starts out with Arthur or Aquaman and Mera on a on their search. When all of a sudden, in comes Dove and Dead Man out of just out of nowhere. But now they're uh, searching out for Aqualad, who finds himself in the middle of a rain shower and somehow activates his powers and a really cool scene you see his gills open up and his eyes start to glow and you see him doing some what i call water bending before getting caught by his by his parents who are shocked because he's in the water and you know they, they really know what's going on with him and they're trying to keep him separated from all that uh meanwhile manhunter finds his way to star city star city yeah star city uh, and uh once he actually lands in this forest, I haven't been really been reading Green Arrow, but we know this forest is special. It's kind of enchanted. But once there, his powers go completely out of control, and he he becomes this big monstrosity. He's morphed into a monstrosity and literally tries to burn down the whole forest before running into the tree with the brightest day symbol, which somehow um, gives him clarity and tells him what he needs to do. So he realizes he needs to go back to Mars Meanwhile, the trauma he's going through alerts him to the other Martian on the planet. I'm trying not to spoil the name before the time because, you know, since we've already read ahead, we kind of know more than we should at this point. But um, it triggers this other Martian, and they have kind of a mind meld where they – it looks like they see the future, but they're totally aware of each other. And now this other Martian is aware that uh, Mars is back. So they're just definitely seeding things to come down the line. But uh, Green Arrow successfully – keeps Martian Manhunter from destroying the forest and Manhunter basically makes a makes a break to get out of the forest and keep his composure and then eventually he decides he's going to go to Mars. Meanwhile, we have Black Manta who's still trying to find Arthur Curry and he's actually goes to his tombstone of all places in Amnesty Bay where he's ambushed by a siren and her people and then she says she's going to help him find his son. So Really quick read, really entertaining issue, and it was just a page turner, you know? They, they really kept things going at a really good pace where I, I literally flew through this issue, and when I was finished with it, I kind of wanted the next one. So you like this issue? I thought I thought it was good. We get We get some information about what's going on, and it's moving things in a certain direction. I felt it was too short, but I don't know if it's because the story was just short or I just enjoyed it that much that I wanted more. I liked the I like all the parts with Aqualad or the new Aqualad. You know, I, I like the little bits with uh with Dead Man and Dove. Uh 
basically, any any time we have Dove and Dove and Dead Man, like that's the highlight for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I like I I don't completely dislike the Martian Manhunter stuff at this point, but the the whole scene with him in the forest, the Star City forest, just seems kind of like drawn out and like nonsensical. Well, here's the thing that I like about it, especially it 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 twists what we know before about what their mission is. Their missions aren't as as cut and dry as you would seem. You know, the voice tells him well when he has a flash of uh, his mission in issue seven, it's like, burn it down, burn the forest down. So I guess he assumes it's Star City when he goes there. Oh, suddenly, no, it's not Star City. So it's going to, it makes you think about the other things that people are supposed to do and whether they're going to be on the right track or, or whether what we think it is, what it actually is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess they definitely needed some time to dedicate to that. Like I already kind of figured that it wasn't going to be, the Star City Forest, just because, like, you know, what would be the point of burning that down? But regardless of that, it just it felt like you know the him morphing into weirdness, you know, going crazy. That just seemed to go, you know, kind of drag a bit. And then you have the the you know this other female Martian, Green Martian, just kind of like shopping through you know something that resembles a Walmart. And, like, killing everybody in the store. I mean, like, again, it gives you insight to the, um, I guess how, just like a, like a psychotic killer that doesn't <laughs> even, like, think about, you know, she'll just kill anybody, anything. Doesn't a, give you A thoughts. rabid animal. Yeah, like that. It gives you insight to that. But it's just like, you know, the the whole thing with, like, the announcements coming over the loudspeaker. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, everybody's dead except for her. Like that, just that—that that seemed a little over the top for me. Okay, I can see that. You know, they, John and uh, you know Green Arrow, they get out of the forest. Forest regenerates, and uh, Martian Manhunter heads back home. It, it it moves it moves certain parts of the story along, but yeah, I, I just like this being the first concrete proof of of not, us not being able to take specifically what uh what their missions are, you know? Yeah. We're not entirely sure. Yeah. I guess it serves that purpose. The one thing that, you know, you had said that he went to, he went to Arthur Curry's grave. Mm-hmm. That's not Arthur Curry's grave. Oh, it's his dad, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because he's looking for his son. He says, where's your son? Yeah. And he smashes the tombstone on top of that. Yeah, like, what What do you think the, the purpose of that is? Like, why would he go to his father's gravestone? I guess he's just frustrated and he assumes that one way or another uh, Aquaman would show up there maybe looking for some kind of solace or direction. I, I don't know. I mean, like, do you think there could be any any other possible reason? I, well, no, I don't think they're related or anything if that's what you're trying to get at. Well, not necessarily related, but associated with. Like I, I mean, at this point, I don't really like. I, I actually have no idea what the, you know, what their origin for Black Manta is, or if it was just never defined enough, so that they're retconning it now. I mean, it would, it like I, I think it would be fascinating if, you know, Aquaman and Black Manta have some kind of relation from their past or whatever that they just either didn't realize or, 
you know, ha- they haven't gone into in the past. But uh, I don't know. Like, I just I think it's it's very out of the ordinary that he would go to Aquaman's father's grave. Well, is his father buried at the the light? He's buried at the lighthouse. Isn't isn't that a common spot for Aquaman? I mean, isn't that where they? Well, no, he showed up there during Blackest Night. We've been to the lighthouse before, though. Definitely Blackest Night, as well as um, when else were we here? Yeah, I think that was it when Mera was there with uh, Aqua. Uh, what's his name? It's not Aqualad anymore. What was his name? Uh, Tempest. Tempest. Yeah. So remember, I remember them being at the tombstone there as well. So Aquaman. Well, Aquaman was buried next to his dad, right? Oh, uh, maybe he was. So. Yeah. Okay. Didn't stay that way. And how? I, I do like Black Manta. He's really kicking butt in this issue. But how the hell does he fight in this big, huge fishbowl helmety thing he has? <laughs> he must have. Uh... I don't know, like some sort of internal video surveillance monitors that gives them 360 degrees of vision. You would think it's hard to be mobile in that thing. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the other thing is he needs the, the size to have, uh, you know, to build those lasers and, you know, to store power for the lasers. Well, he has he has super muscles in his neck to keep that thing up. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> it's one of his superpowers, super neck powers. Uh, let, all right, let me not drag this issue out anymore. I think we pretty much hit all the the big uh, the well, big beats for it. I mean, like the the last thing is that they they like just solidly confirm that the new Aqualad is definitely the son of Black Manta. Yes, and they're here. They're not here to restart our war. We need to work together. So uh, once again, we know Black Manta and these people have a history and. They were at odds, right? Which is, which is kind of weird because wouldn't that put him on Aquaman's side? I mean, both of them have beef with these people. Well, you would think, but it could be that maybe the reason that they went to war with Black Manta was because of Aquaman. Well, they wanted they wanted to kill Aquaman, which is why they sent Mera kind of after him and his people, since they had a hand in banishing them to the. Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like there would be a reason why maybe they went after him because, like, he was familiar with Aquaman, so that makes him hate Aquaman that much more that these people were going after him because of his association with Aquaman. That's possible. Okay. Uh, Issue 10? Go go for it. Okay. So, I have some awesome covers on this one. Which one do you have? I got the the David Finch cover, but the okay. other one is is nice. Which one is that? Uh, the uh, Firestorm cover. It's just like Firestorm, like flying, you know, in the in the center of the page, very small, like flying out of like a huge cosmic blast kind of thing. Okay. It's just it's cool. Okay, so we have uh, Firestorm, and uh, his powers have now changed. So that the the mind, you know, whoever's in the mind aspect is, uh, you know, that's the database in which that they can pull from for their transmutations and whatnot. And uh, the other person is uh, like the body. Um, the Professor Stein is saying that this is the next step of the Firestorm Matrix. And uh, it's, it's very unstable. And if they like argue or fight, it you know, could be some sort of like, you know, major disaster. Um, 
So it's negative emotion. Right. Yes. Mm. Uh, we also find out that the Matrix is like the remnants of the Big Bang. Like the Big Bang happened and like that little spark, you know, that had created the Big Bang kind of like stuck around. And that is the fire, the Firestorm Matrix, which is interesting uh, yeah, concept. Aquaman finds out from Mera that uh, Aqualad is Black Manta's son, and uh, that Mera had been sent to Earth to kill Aquaman. Then, uh, what I thought was a little odd was Aqualad finds out in this issue that he was adopted. You would think that that the parents would let him know, you know, maybe slightly earlier in his life, because he seems fairly mature, you know, in these comics. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not surprised they try to hide it. If they could, they probably would have hit it, hit it from him his whole life. I'm not surprised by that. But he had that, like little, uh, the the sea treasure chest. You know, like you you can't really, like it, it, that's that's kind of like his birthright. The one that they hid, you mean? Yeah, you can't really like give that to him and not tell him like the truth. Well, they never gave it. Well, did he say he knew it? I was saying, does he know? I don't think he knew about it before Before now. Well, no, he never knew about it. Right. So, like, the parents just weren't going to give him his no. birthright treasure chest? No. That's messed up. If they can keep it secret and keep him, quote-unquote, safe from all that, all that stuff with his previous life, then I could understand that. Well, well, we have the flashback for when, you know, he was brought to these, these adopted parents. Um, and it turns out that it was Mera, you know, she brought him, brought, you know, Aqualad as a child, you know, to these people, along with that fishy treasure chest, and, uh, she says that the, the kid's parents were not fit to raise him, uh, and that he would save the world from a war between the land and the sea. Now, again, like, that just makes me wonder, like, like, okay, if your son is destined to save the world... You know, from a war between the land and the sea, and you know, you're like, yeah, you know what? We're just not going to tell them. <laughs> We're going to ride this pony as long as we can. They've they've got to wait for the right, the right, the right, um, the right. What's it called? The right uh, sign, the right sign from above when of when they need to act, and and they got it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, the, the sign the sign that they get is Black Manta finding Aqualad <laughs> along with his dad. And, uh, yeah, he pretty much, you know, starts trying to kill them. <laughs> they uh, they try and escape. Um, the, the father, the, the adopted father's big plan is to drive, like, into the ocean. But uh, he's like, you know, don't worry, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter if I die, you have to live. But uh, Aqualad, you know, manages on, you know, manages to save his adoptive father anyway. Um, You know, and he holds off Black Manta for a second. You know, then uh, Siren Siren pops up, who is Mera's sister. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get concrete proof that she is Aqualad's mom. And uh, and then Aquaman kind of, you know, jumps in also to help save the day. And uh, Firestorm learns that he could start a brand new bang if, you know, Ronnie and Jason argue. And as they learn this information, all of a sudden, who comes to the party but Deathstorm, which is the Black Lantern version of Firestorm that had kind of been hiding in the Matrix. 
in this process, Ronnie and Jason are split up, and uh, that's kind of how they end the issue. I mean, he he comes right out like alien style, just bursts right out of Firestorm's chest. Yeah. Sending the two of them flying apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and what's his quote on the last page? This is going to be so boss. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's it's almost like he's he's entirely Ronnie's personality. Big big immature kid for sure. He he seems like just this big big kid. What you call it? The, the the thing that that I I was very 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 happy about with this issue was when you find out that that's um Aqualad's mother is Siren. Is that is that what you I don't know. For some reason I don't think so. I think she had more she said you made him like you. I don't know. It it seems more more like she had a maybe she genetically manipulated him or something. I don't know. It could be, but I didn't take it like that for some reason. One thing that threw me off too is when you said the person that brought the baby was Mera. I couldn't tell if that was Mera or or Siren, but I guess she's wearing the right earrings to be Mera, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and like even though the colors are kind of muted, you know, the the green outfit and the the red hair. I wasn't I had to I took a second guess, but yeah, she has the same earrings so it is Mera. Yeah, yeah, the wording where it's like, you know, you, you know, you made him like you. It's like, no, he's not like us at all. You know, like, I don't know, I I definitely took that to be that Siren's the mother and Black Manta's the father. So that would make him Aquaman's nephew. Yes. Nephew-in-law. Huh. Well, it was kind of cool how he did some water bending and uh, almost held Black Manta back for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That was that was a nice scene, and the art, of course, is pretty kick-ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like, I, I definitely, I, like... I was a little afraid that because after the the Wonder Woman uh, Blackest Night Wonder Woman, it was like one you know Mera had like a, a terrible secret that she had been hiding from from Aquaman, mm-hmm. and you know it's like okay well what's that secret and then all of a sudden you find out that there's this Aqualad and he can you know he has water bending powers it's like oh god. Tell me that this the secret that's going to you know hurt Aquaman is that she had a kid with his like you know worst enemy. That's that was my first thought too, and I think I may have preferred that to this. Still, is just her secret wasn't any kind of wasn't really any kind of big deal. Even Aquaman's like, okay, I just need some time to think about this. It, it, there was no no strong emotion from him, no outrage, no you know. It was just like okay. That's messed up. Give me some time to think about it. It didn't seem like such a big deal that she she made it out to be. Well, well, I mean, we still don't know everything there is to know about Aqualad. Right. So so realistically like there is still more to be revealed. True, but let's let's look at it this way. How long you've been married what a year now, right? Yes. How long were you dating Lauren before you guys got married? Uh I'd say uh, it was a year and a half. All right, so let's call it two years. So you've been with this woman for two years. You know you know she loves you. You love her. You guys are married. You guys are in love, whatever. And then one day she tells you, when I first met you, I was supposed to kill you, but I fell in love with you. Now, how upset would you be two years later after all the stuff you had? Um, how upset would I be? 
Yes. Would you? Would Would it be something to end your marriage? Would it just be something to totally turn you away from her? No, no, it wouldn't. But like, it would definitely be something that I'd have to wrap my head around. As far as you know, it's like, well, her entire reasoning for being in this dimension, you know, is is a complete fabrication. You know, so. You know, that like that that concept, like that that level of lie. Like how come she never never brought that up in all the time that they've been together? You know? Right. I mean she fell for you and, and that's that I don't I don't see this being the big deal that, that if this is indeed what her big secret is, to me it's kinda rubbish. I don't think it's really anything for her to be that scared of Arthur finding out. I mean, they've been together for how long? They had a child together. You know, I think she's more than proven herself how loyal she is to loyal she is to him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't really think it's a it's a matter of, um, of love or loyalty. It's just a matter of honesty. And you know, when when you do have a you know something like something major like that come out, you know, okay, well, it may not shake your love or you know your you know, your faith in the person, but, you know, it does kind of shake you that they held on to this lie for so long. I guess I'm just too forgiving. Yeah. <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me more than a week. Yeah. Well, I mean like that, that's it though. Like, you know, it, it would bother you for a little bit. I, you know, you'd get past it, you know? Yeah. You know, there is the time that it would take and she was just sitting on that lie for so long that, you know, eventually she built it up in her head like, oh, God, you know, he's not going to be able to forgive me for this. But, uh, you know, it comes out, so, well, you know. Not not the big surprise I, I wanted, but we still have plenty of issues to go, so hopefully something else will come out of it. But uh, looking down to some more Black Mans, I mean, this storyline is one of my favorite parts of Brightest Day. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing what they're going to be doing with all this. And now Firestorm. Yes. We get a lot of Firestorm in this issue. We have a new kind of origin of the Firestorm powers in this very issue. Before we get into that, what is the original origin that this Professor Stein just created this thing just out of the blue? Uh, yeah, but, well, basically it was just like a uh, – you know, like a, an experiment, a reaction. He was trying to recreate the Big Bang. And, um, you know, somehow it, you know, he lost control of it and, uh, the recreation he thought, you know, bonded itself to, to Ronnie and then later to Jason. Okay. I, as far as I can remember, I, I might be slightly off on that one, but I'm pretty sure that's about how it happened. But, uh, now what they're saying is that it wasn't that he recreated, you know, um, a big bang in an experiment it was that he was i guess harnessing the big bang you know energy that existed in the universe already and lost control of that and that bonded with ronnie okay so i don't know like i i love it i love the fact that you know the concept that he's bonded with the spark that created the big bang created life yeah mm. oh oh <laughs> <laughs> oh yes putting it together yes 
Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, the spark that well, the spark that allowed the uh, the white entity, you know, entry into this universe. <laughs> Holy crap! Well, that's yeah, that's something to notice. <laughs> and now that very same spark has allowed the entry of a black lantern into this universe. Uh-huh. One of the most powerful Black Lanterns into this universe. Yeah. I do like the twist they're putting on Firestorm now where one person inhabits the body and the other person is the mind, but only the person who's in the mind has to know whatever formulas to manipulate things. So at the beginning you have um I I get them confused. Okay. Ronnie who's Ronnie's the black dude, Jason's the white dude, right? No. You got it backwards. Okay. So Jason is in charge of the body and Ronnie is the mind. And because whatever Ronnie knows is the only things they can transmute. So that's an interesting twist, which is cool because now they can switch places, which before we were saying is something new where one person is the actual physical body and the other person is the mind. Yeah, yeah. They also kind of point out that uh, because the, the Matrix had bonded with Ronnie originally, uh, and then Ronnie died, and then, or no, he didn't actually die yet, but um, he lost the Matrix, and then it bonded with Jason, and then Ronnie died. It's interesting because, like, now that they've bonded to, with each other, they were both, like, the best candidates for, you know, for bonding with the Firestorm Matrix, which is why the, you know, the transmutation is... Well, the, the now now it's the next step of the Matrix. The final stage. Right. And and he uses a pretty particular word in the previous panel when uh, Professor Science says, The Firestorm Matrix bonded with Ronald much more than it ever did myself. In a way, it even rejected me, transforming me briefly into a fire elemental, maybe to distance me from Ronald. So there's that word elemental thrown out again. And then, you know, we talked about your theory last last show with that as well so more breadcrumbs mm, yes yeah that's true yeah i i don't think we're gonna see yeah i don't actually know because god i have no idea <laughs> so many possibilities like seriously yeah that's 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 one of the reasons why this particular storyline is so intriguing because there are so many possibilities well this this big bang is supposed to recreate or restarting the universe. Right. Do you think this has anything to do with possibly resurrecting the white entity that's supposed to be dying? Oh, wait a second. If the Big Bang started the universe and that's when a white that's when the white entity made its way into the universe to create life, then maybe if he creates another Big Bang, it would allow for another white entity to enter into the universe. That's going to get kind of tricky because then we're really going to need to figure out what the source is of this of life, basically, the white entity. Where, where, where did it come from? Because during Blackest Night, they said it appeared. They don't know if somebody sent it. They don't know exactly what, but it appeared. Right. Well, yeah, we don't, we don't know where it came from, but like, like Dan's theory is that there's – a place where there are these entities that exist outside of our universe. <laughs> like the white hot Phoenix room. That's, a, <laughs> that, that's an X-Men thing. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, the other thing is that, you know, they theorize that this universe 
is way past its its uh, due date hmm. to be destroyed. Entropy? I don't know. We'll see. What you call it? We'll, uh... I think that that's basically it for this issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, I won't linger too long, but we've... <laughs> wow, we got some good revelations here. Some yeah. really good theories to throw out, so hopefully... Hopefully we're on the right track. Uh, Brightest Day, number 11. Wonderful uh, Finch cover, The Return of the Black Lanterns. Uh, starts off with... Um, <laughs> Black Lantern Firestorm uh, names himself Deathstorm at the beginning of this issue, and you get the real, uh, the real feeling that he's just a frat boy, a big, immature frat boy, with just how he talks and 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 uh, his mannerisms and stuff. But he does make it plain that he has one goal and one goal only is to kill everything. You know, basically, uh, what's his name, Black Hand, and uh. What's the dude's name now? Necron. Necron's goal of killing all life in the universe. Yeah, it's late. But uh, he, he goes about it in a really underhanded, evil way. He, he absorbs Professor Stein so he'll have his knowledge. Mm-hmm. But um, actually, he even makes one, one interesting point here where Professor Stein says, you know, they're going to stop you. And Deathstorm is like, I'm still around because Jason and Ronnie won't let me go. They created me. So... Right there, you you know that Firestorm is going to be a big part of ending this whole Brightest Day and ending this threat of Deathstorm. But he seems to be a part of them, something that they, like he said, they can't let go. So some very interesting things going on with that. So, you know, we get Firestorm, which is one of my favorite parts of the story. And then we get more Aquaman and Black Manta, which is the second part that I really love about this issue. And it's just one big, nasty fight between... A little bit between Firestorm and Deathstorm, but also Black Manta and Aquaman. And I mean, I'm surprised Black Manta can hold his own since I guess his suit is the main source of his powers. So he has, you know, all kind of vision beams and harpoons and daggers and swords and, you know, electric shock. So it's just like a man, an Iron Man almost fighting Aquaman. So it, it's interesting to see them throw down and you could just tell they really don't like each other at all. <laughs> Um, Deathstorm go ahead and does another underhanded things. He goes after Jason's dad, who's uh, pretty down on himself and and uh, being the worst dad in the world. And that panel there with his head down in the shadows, Gleason really killed that panel for me. I really, really like that one. But um, yeah, he gets absorbed into Deathstorm, and you you can tell that he's just kind of leading. Firestorm through some kind of a uh, rat race, some some kind of maze, but uh, the issue just flips back and forth, and we get more of Black Manta and Aquaman throwing down until at one point Black Manta gets hit by a semi, which separates him from Aquaman, and Aquaman and Aqualad and you know his adopted father take off in the truck, leaving Black Manta behind. So, you know, moving things along really, really well. It's really good issue that I just enjoyed, you know, it was really fun. And then we come to the third part that I really love about this book. Firestorm finds the white lantern and he actually has to infect it before he can even lift it up. So he infects it with, I guess, whatever the black stuff, the black lanterns are made out of. They don't really get into what he infects it with. Death. Or death. Well, he he turns starts turning the lantern black to where he's able to pick it up, mm-hmm. 
and then he wants to destroy it, but then there's a voice that tells him, you know, you will not destroy the White Lantern. You will bring it. You will bring the White Lantern to me. So we don't know who this voice is. I get the feeling it's not Necron. Well, it's either Necron or I'm thinking the Anti-Monitor. We don't know for sure. But one thing Deathstorm does do now that he has his lantern is he resurrects all the Black Lanterns. So we get a nice, nice splash page of basically all the resurrected people from Blackest Night. But we had the Black Lantern version of that spread. Yes. And I'm trying to see if Zoom's in more than one more than one scene, but I only see one of him. Yeah, yeah, I don't see him. No, it's only one. Yeah. But that is a pretty awesome splash page. Yeah, no no, no doubt. And then we cut, well, uh, Aqualad opens another chest with, I guess it's a genetic lock, so he's able to open it and they find some kind of map. Meanwhile, Martian Manhunter finally arrives back to Mars, and he finds a forest, kind of like Mogo. It's cool. The big, huge forest in the shape of a Black Lantern symbol with his pyramid in the center <laughs> of it. Yes. That's Tomasi for you. That was a cool scene. Definitely a cool scene, but I just love this issue. I mean, it's much better than the last issue since, um, or the last issue I reviewed, since it concentrates more on the two two out of the three stories that I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, well, the thing that I'm, I guess, wondering about is the, yeah, the, the strength at which Black Manta has. You know, like, he takes a lot of punishment. Like, a semi, like, hits him head on. You know, he gets, like, basically, you know, run right over with the tire. <laughs> and... You know, he's got, you know, got a little, little bit of bleeding. Not too much. <laughs> I mean, like, what is the suit made out of? I, I don't know. I really don't know. I, he doesn't seem like a regular human just in a suit. He has to be, there has to be something more to him than just that. God, I hope so. Because it's like even a swimsuit. It's not like a real set armor like Iron Man. It's just like a swimsuit with a goofy helmet. Uh, I don't know. What did you overall? How did you like this issue better than the last? I, I liked, I definitely liked the ending. You know, all, everything going on in the ending. It's it's weird. Like the Aquaman stuff. I thought, I don't know. It, it's 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 weird because I feel like okay, everything had a reason for being in this issue. I would say probably for my preference, I would have liked to see a little bit less fighting. And more story. Yeah, exactly. Because it, I, I felt like almost with the Aquaman versus Black Manta, like, okay, I know that they're going to fight. But, you know, I also know that this isn't the main confrontation right here. So this is just like a minor battle that doesn't really mean anything. Well, that's that's a good point. That's a good way of looking at it. And remember, last issue was the same two stories, too. I mean, we've had a lot of co- uh, composition in the last issue where it's kind of moving the story, moving the story. And this one, we get some action finally. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's a little bit consum- con- compensating a little bit for the lack of action in all story in the last issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, it, it was definitely a good issue and everything made sense to me. Uh, I would say probably from, for me, for me in particular, the, the beginning stories, weren't uh, weren't home runs in my opinion, but then when you get to the end, it like you know it more than makes up for it, especially with that double page spread 
with the Black Lantern version of the White Lantern, you know, page in uh, Blackest Night. And and who would have thought that even though even though these characters have already been resurrected, that they can go ahead and create more Black Lantern versions of them? Yeah. I mean, Firestorm, we understand. He was like a different part of the Matrix. But for all of them, you know, Black Lantern versions of all of them to be resurrected now? Well, it makes sense because it's Firestorm that's doing it. And Firestorm is the one that can create things. So he can create life? Well, I mean... Well, these aren't really alive, but... Yeah, well, the regular Firestorm, no, absolutely not. But if you're a Black Lantern version of Firestorm, maybe. Hmm. Not to mention he's holding on to the white, the white power battery right there. So maybe that's boosting him. Good point. The corrupted white battery, which was a really good touch. Didn't see that coming. And now that I look at it, he did spawn all these black lanterns literally out of his own matter. Yes. Yeah, that couldn't have been easy. <laughs> <laughs> so who do you think this voice is that's speaking with him and ordering him? I don't know. Like I'm kind of assuming that it's Necron. Yeah. I mean, I guess you bring up an interesting idea that it could be uh, the Anti-Monitor. But what would he have, you know, exactly, but what would he have in, what connection would he have to the Black Lanterns for them to obey, obey him? I mean, the anti, anti, anti-matter universe isn't necessarily a death version of, you know, our life universe. It isn't the opposite like that, is it? Well, no, I know it's not opposite like that. Is what I'm saying. Right so, now, so I'm a little bit, little bit leery thinking it's him. Yeah, um, I, I'm yeah, but it, it is a possibility. Uh, I guess the only real other option that it could be is the, the black entity. Hmm. Well, we. Do you mean black hand? Well, the black when the black hand came back to life, I kind of assumed that he no longer had the, the black entity inside of him. Oh, I always took it as him actually being the black entity, but that wouldn't make sense since the black entity would have to be around before him. So you have a point. Because hmm. he was born naturally, so he came later. Right. Good, yeah. Good so. point. Well, here's another thing to think about. What exactly is the anti-monitor's goal? Well... Back... Well, let me... Go ahead. Throw it out, not throw out my theory. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I would only be guessing. So if you have a theory, I have to re- I probably have to reread Crisis on Infinite Earths, Crisis on yeah Infinite Earths for this. But didn't he want to wipe out pretty much all other realities except his own? Because for every actually yeah, I remember now for every rea- for every multi every multiverse he destroyed, he became stronger. At the beginning of Crisis on Infinite Earths, that's what he was doing. He was literally wiping out different universes. He was right. with the antimatter, antimatter, yeah, antimatter wave or whatever that power is called, which is a white light on top of that, which is kind of interesting. Which uh, I think we talked about before, where we were curious to the white hand, the beginning of the universe, whatever, which we know now is a f- well. We won't get into that, but you know. He wants to destroy every other thing except for his antimatter universe. Maybe even then he doesn't care because with the death of everything else, he becomes more powerful. So I wouldn't be too – I don't think it's too 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 far off to say he would actually kind of team up with Necron. Well, the anti-monitor universe is still a universe of the living. Right. So, you know, like 
okay, Necron, he definitely wants, he wants everything dead. He wants to, yeah, wipe out every other. He wants to, yeah, wipe out anything that's living, basically. If he has the ability to wipe out all existence, or wipe out all existence except for the Anti-Monitor universe, and have the assistance of the, you know, the Anti-Monitor, I mean... I think that he would probably say, you know, hey, screw you, Anti-Monitor. You know, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to try and wipe out everything. Not to mention, the Anti-Monitor was stuck in the Black Power battery. Oh, yeah, that's true. He's probably going to have a grudge to hold. Exactly. Good point. Uh, and, uh, and thirdly, why would Firestorm take orders from the, the Anti-Monitor? Anti-Monitor, right. That's why I was thinking maybe they would have teamed up, but you're right. I forgot about that battery. <laughs> yeah. Where uh, where was the White Lantern battery? Silver City? Ah, uh, jeez. Oh, well, let's go to that page real quick and let's see. That was in New Mexico, right? What was it? Uh, go on to your next point. I can look it up. Um, yeah, well, no, I was just saying as far as, like, because... Uh, you know that's where they're leaving. They're leaving New Mexico, um, Aquaman and uh, Aqualad and the the kid's father. Yep, that's exactly where it landed, Silver City, New Mexico. Okay, so they get they're driving away from it at this point. Okay, and then uh, yeah, Martian Manhunter flies into space. Back to Mars. Yep. And something is going on there. I'm not too interested in that. I, I I'm really glad they gave us two issues back to back of. Firestorm and Aquaman. I mean, I really like that. It was really entertaining. One cool thing to note too with the art on the title page, the splash page, it's like a fourth page. I love how Siren and the other waterbenders, when they have their swords, the liquid is literally around their hands. They're not touching it. I think that's a nice touch in how they designed that. Yeah, I was noticing that actually also. They they're holding on to something. It's like a like a little handle kind of thing that helps them harness their powers. No, look, their hands look empty to me. No, no, they're they're definitely all things. They are. Yeah. Let me look for a different page, but they uh, well they they go in they go into that into a future issue. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, but I mean that's just an awesome look. Yeah. No, definitely. Like it's because what they're holding isn't connected to the water. Water. So, like you said, it's just kind of hovering around their hand. How do you feel about these breadcrumbs that they're kind of leaving with with these the treasure chests that can only be opened by Aqualad? I mean, it's what? Well, there's only one. I don't know. I'm thinking there's two. It's the same one, right? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. At this point, there's only the one. Right. <laughs> Not to spoil anything. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. It's it's almost exactly like uh, when Superman, you know, was able to open up his spaceship and nobody else was before that. I have no clue what you're talking about before that about that. Well, what is that? Uh, when Superman was a teenager, uh, his father's like, you know, you were rocketed to Earth. Here's the crystal that you know was in your your spaceship, and Superman holds the crystal. Oh, and okay. His Kryptonian physiology activates the crystal so that he knows what to do. Got you. So. I mean, yeah, DC-wise, it's it's definitely not a new concept. All right. Issue number 12? Take it away. Martian Manhunter, he, uh, now he's on Mars, and uh, so is the, the other female Martian, 
Uh, her name is Decay Duraz. Um, you know, she's the this murderous Martian that's been, uh, you know, making herself known to Jeff Johns. Oh, Jeff Johns. <laughs> John, John Johns. Jones. Yeah, John Jones. She really, really wants to uh, start up a kind of a relationship with with uh, John, but uh, yeah, he's not he's not having it. He's you know, it's like you stink of death. I'm not not really interested. And then we we find out like kind of like the history slash origin story of Decay, uh, which is an interesting name. Her name is Decay. Originally. She she found out that there were uh, Martians, green Martians, that could hear other people's thoughts, but their own thoughts were blocked. So she would she, like she had this process of, I guess, going into their mind and uh, you know altering them so that their minds could be read as well. Um, because you know she felt that all Martians should you know be part of a like kind of a communal system of thought. And if you were closed off, then, you know, you were working towards the downfall of the Martians. Um, and, like, this process that she would do, like, it helped, like, a bunch of people, you know, to gain that ability, but it also killed a bunch. And once she had gotten, like, you know, a whole bunch of people converted, you know, she realized, okay, well, people are hiding, it's difficult to find them, like, let's just kill them all. <laughs> and uh, the rest of the Manhunters were uh, were kind of against that for some reason. I don't know. But uh, they lock her up. She was locked up for, what was it, like, I don't know, 200 years or so? Yeah. And all of a sudden, one day, uh, the guards stop coming. So she's like, hey, what's up? And uh, realizes that everybody's dead. Um, and that's when she gets ripped from Mars to Earth by uh, Dr. Some, so-and-so's uh, teleportation beam. She's overwhelmed with the thoughts of billions and billions of new life forms. Right, yeah. Yeah, so she has to uh, purge her mind. Mm-hmm. Try to fit in. Yeah. So she, she assimilates herself into, like, Earth culture, purges her mind to not think about the, you know, whole Martian aspect of herself, and... Uh, do we find out in this issue or or the next one that uh like the reason that she found out about John at all was when he died or something like that? I think it was when he when he came back. She said a massive te- massive telepathic burst. No, actually when he died, when he was killed. It was when he died. It was when he died. So that uh, that kind of alerted her to like the fact that she was still a green martian. It, it's it's kind of weird too. You would think that she wouldn't have to skin people and wear their skin in order to fit in, and she can just transform herself. But maybe there's maybe she just enjoys it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I mean, in that one thing, she was a mother, so it could be that like she was wearing the skin to be able to reproduce. Oh, I have no clue. I don't know. <laughs> Those kids would have some kind of powers, and there'd be something quirky about them, you would think. Well, if she's wearing the person's body as a skin, and she's, like, retaining oh, the reproductive capabilities. No, it's, it's just the skin. It's just the skin. Oh, it's just the skin. Yeah. Yeah, You'll okay, see, I don't know. You'll see that image, the, body, <laughs> the body's in the background. Yeah, maybe she's just a sicko. 
Oh yeah, she she obviously is because you'll see when she's retelling her origin and talking about how she um how difficult it was to find isolation is isolation is it you know what I'm saying? She's cutting herself, and even when she first meets John, she's cutting herself. Yeah, <laughs> she's a cutter. She's a cutter. Yeah, you look. She's, she's cutting herself. She's something is definitely wrong with her. I do like how she you know she made the most of her trip to Walmart. You know, John's get there, she has a nice turkey and candles and cookies and some wine so her shopping had a purpose see oh that's true that's true i you know i didn't even think oh yeah a little gravy bowl a little pure a pyramid of chacos oh man this this second mouth and second voice thing throws me off though <laughs> that, that's I don't we've never seen John do anything like that so I'm curious if that's something unique to her or is she just that insane probably I mean obviously he could do that because he's a shapeshifter although uh, yeah that would be interesting if it turns out that she had bonded at some point with uh, some other life form we have a different twist and it's just she's kind of disgusting though, honestly Ugh. Well, if if she bonded with something else, then if he can take that part out of her, then it would be able to redeem her, I think. Uh, I don't know. I kind of like her being sick as she is. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's it definitely makes for good storytelling. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there as an option. Very true. Very true. Could continue your review. Um, not hold you up. Oh, yeah. Um. Well, yeah, so she she bonds telepathically with John and uh John's John Jones starts having hallucinations that the the JLA are confronting him. Um they're fighting him and they're, you know, lobbing insults at him and whatnot and you know it's like, you know, you're not good enough, blah blah blah, you're never one of us, that that typical thing. And uh you know, let's see other things that are going on. We we get a page of uh of Jason kind of giving Ronnie a pep talk. It, I think the, the entire purpose of that is for us to realize that Ronnie isn't a complete douchebag. It's just how he's been written in the past, uh, I don't know, two years with Blackest Night and whatnot. But yeah, back in the day, Ronnie was pretty interesting. So, you know, he's he's reminding us of that. We have a, a scene with uh, Dove and Deadman. And we find out that Dove is like 100% the brains behind Dove and Dead Man. <laughs> She's doing all the thinking. You know, it's like, you know, we have no idea what we should be looking for. So I got on the phone with Oracle and uh, had her give us a few lists of, of people that I thought might be useful. Uh, Dead Man is just like, uh, oh, sounds good, basically. He's mesmerized by her beauty. Yes. Um... <laughs> And uh, and then you go back to the whole Martian Manhunter thing, and all of a sudden Martian Manhunter realizes that he's being uh, affected, you know, uh, telepathically by Decay, and he strikes back, and you know he's getting the upper hand, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to do this on my terms. He somehow taps into that white energy that had brought him back and uses it to bring everything back on Earth, uh, b- everything back on Mars, all all life and everything. And uh, he sees his wife and his, his daughter, and he's happy. And 
you know, then you turn the page and you realize that he's still in Decay's delusion. Well, we saw it coming, but it is still tragic. Yeah. He's so happy. Yeah, well, what made this, like, even more tragic was that, like, when I, you know, you see that happen. You see him bring back everybody, and he's so happy. And, like, I'm thinking, it's like, oh, that's great. He did it. I'm like, well, did he actually do it? I don't know. We'll have to wait until next month. And then, you know, because you have that, that last, like, page. Turn, turn to turn to see the last page. Yeah, well, yeah, you have that, you know, um, DC Nation page. Oh, yeah. So I thought that we were at the end of the comic. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, you know, when I was reading this, I'm like, that's, you know, what a nice note to end it on. <laughs> he's with his wife. He's with his daughter. He's happy. He's truly happy. Now, whether or not they take this all away from us next next month, next week, whatever, uh, next you know, two weeks, whatever, you know, remains to be seen. But at least it's happy now. And then it's like, oh wait, there's extra pages. And then you turn, and it's like, son of a bitch. They, they took your happiness. They threw it on the floor. They stepped on it. They grinded on it. They spit on it. They they took your happiness, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's like. <laughs> Yeah, apparently Jeff Johns, not the most powerful telepath that we thought. <laughs> uh, John Jones. What'd I say? Jeff Johns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take that, Jeff Johns. You're not the most tele- powerful telepath. <laughs> it, it is good to see a, a guy in here looking like his normal self. You know, Patrick Leeson drawing Guy yes, Gardner. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the thing that I want to talk about the most about this issue is that very, very tiny little page we got with uh, with Dove and Deadman. Mm-hmm. Now, it's it's just one page, right? Yeah. Yes. Just it's it's one page. It's very quick, but uh, you know, it touches base and it shows that that they are like actually you know actively working to find the new champion. And, you know, it shows how Dove is, you know, she's making connections and, you know, she's looking for these, you know, these other characters who have either been resurrected, who, you know, were thought to be dead or now are alive, you know, or have light powers or whatever could be the new champion of life. And that's when it hit me. I think I know who's going to be the champion for life. Would it possibly be one of these two people on this page? I think it's going to be Dove. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And what makes you say that? Okay, well, like, during the whole Blackest Night, you have this very, like, mysterious connection that she has to the White Light. True. They never really explain that, just that she had, like, this connection, and that she was able to wipe out Black Lanterns, like, just by touching them. Mm-hmm. Now, on top of that, she... You know, she does embrace life, and she's helping Dead Man embrace life as well. You know, she's very much a part of life. She's made connections. She has people to live for. You know, all that. She has, like, and, and her, her powers are based on order, which, you know, I think is an interesting contradiction to the concept of, you know, the chaotic, you know, way that people that are living are. And then on top of all that, I think if they made her like the agent of life and like, you know, dead man's, 
his one uh, task is to protect the agent of life, then it gives Dead Man and Dove a reason to you know continue to team up and and you know be together. And it gives Hawk a reason to hate Dead Man. Well, I mean, <laughs> as, as far as I'm concerned, like you know. This is this is how they're going to achieve that that pleasant bill ending, <laughs> that you know Hawk's just gonna fade away or die or whatever. It doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> Hawk doesn't matter to me at all right now. He he's just like he's a placeholder basically, and uh, you know that park bench Hawk's gonna disappear and Dead Man and Dove they're the new the new team up to protect all life in the universe. I could see that. I I buy that book. <laughs> I can see that. I I could I could roll with that. Um, change, switch it up on you a little bit. The Black Lanterns they actually disperse this issue. Um, Deathstorm pretty much takes them, and they all. Well, what does he? Does he say anything? Twelve on two, fine with us. Well, yeah, basically the Black Lanterns disperse. So I think from here on out we're going to be seeing them pop up in the respective brightest day titles to cause the their uh their live version some grief. Um, did you did you pick up on the fact that Firestorm is gonna go search out the JLA? Really? Yep. So um, are you gonna be are you gonna be buying that issue of the Justice League? How do you know that he's gonna be in the Justice League? Uh, he says it right here on the page with Dove and uh, Dove and Dead Man at the, the very uh, first panel. I think I think it just got bigger than the two of us, Ronnie. I think it's time we go find the Justice oh, League, and gosh. I think he's on the cover of one of the upcoming issues of Justice League as well. Oh, God. (laughs) DC's torturing you, huh? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Well, you know, like, I I saw the the advanced solicits for one of the Justice League America books where it's got Doomsday and St. Walker. Yep. And, and a bunch of other stuff going on, but those are the two that you know <laughs> that I picked up on. It's like, oh man, I want to read that. I'm so curious about that, but I hate the writers. I'm I'm gonna be completely honest with you. They had a nice interview with uh, James Robinson, and how he's talking about his run on JLA. It's supposed to be this one big long story that'll build slowly over time he made it sound really interesting and like he really has a set goal in mind and that maybe things started out they did on purpose i don't know i'm kind of rooting for the man now i'm kind of hoping that he really can turn it around i mean like you said he's bringing in saint walker he's bringing in well doomsday is kind of affecting a lot of different titles right now too and even the eclipso stuff has really piqued my interest so i'm kind of i'm kind of rooting for him here you know, I'm I'm obviously going to pick up certain issues here and there. Um, I'm probably going to have to go back and pick up the issues that are out now with the tangent Green Lantern out of curiosity and, you know, possibly for a future episode. And it's the, the crime syndicate, right? Right, right. But I mean, like, you know, when you tell me that, that this whole thing is part of like a much larger storyline that he's he's carefully planning out, it's like... Well, you know, and, and everything's going to have an effect on something else. It's like, well, that first storyline with the the Starheart 
was so god awful for so many reasons. <laughs> like, you know, the idea that in a few months you're going to tie that mess into anything else is just like, oh, okay. So basically what you're saying is that storyline was Deathstorm and all your other stories are now going to be infected by the death spewed out by Deathstorm. And I think I think it's mainly more to the point of uh, Jade and Obsidian and the roles that they're going to play in the future. Yeah, I... Hopefully, there's no Alan Scott and that 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 palace on the moon crap because <laughs> I, yeah, I really didn't enjoy that either. And you you didn't even read the epilogue issues, did you? The follow up epilogue issues to Dark Things. <laughs> one concentrated on Jade and Donna, and the other one was a uh, Alan Scott and Obsidian. In the uh, the Alan Scott and Obsidian one, I kind of. I don't think I read the entire thing, but I definitely flipped through it. <sighs> and you see, like, how Alan, Alan Scott, like, tested out all the, you know, he, he viewed the possibilities of all these things happening. You mm-hmm. know, if they were to meet a day later, two days later, you know, a week later. And, and like, it's it's basically, like, just, like, you know, balls to the wall, all out craziness if they ever met. This is Obsidian Jade you're speaking about. Yes, yeah. Right. And, and and what about all these magical beings now being attracted to this palace that's been built with where the Starheart is being housed now, this attraction? Yeah. I, I haven't read anything about that to you know, to know actually. Yeah, I I don't like it, so hopefully they'll just maybe concentrate on Obsidian and Jade and leave the other stuff behind. But <laughs> uh, for some reason I'm just rooting I'm I'm rooting for the man. He's had you know, his star man is supposed to be so excellent and all this other stuff. And there's people with high hopes and just this plan that he's been talking about. And, you know, these elements that are popping up now, I do have some interest in. I definitely have some interest in Jade. Um, Doomsday doesn't really affect me that much. But even the Eclipso stuff just really seems like it could be good in St. Walker. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I'm, I have some curiosity, curiosity about the uh, Eclipso stuff. You know, it's almost as if, like, he wrote his star man stuff. And, like, then he, now he's doing this, you know, this Justice League stuff. It's almost like he kind of is dumbing it down. Because he doesn't think that the same audience, you know, is going to be around for for Justice League. You know, that was around for Starman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the case, but, you know, if that's true, then he's doing a disservice to himself and the readers. You know, like... Don't don't dumb it down like that because it's just making dumb comics, you know. <laughs> true, very true. Ho- well, hopefully he'll turn it around and then everybody will be scrambling for those terrible back issues at the beginning of his run. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, Moving right along, I think it's time for a Martian Manhunter to watch Inception. <laughs> Oh man, that that was that was that was crazy. Yes, and th- that was a great great way to end this issue, though. I mean, they really they really ripped your heart out with that one. Yeah, yeah. No, that that last page is just like, oh, that's cold. Can't can a Martian find happiness just just once? 
But, you know, one thing to point out, too, even when Decay gives him this vision of the Justice League, you know, um, what did they say? And your soul, John, is divided, like, just like your allegiance. They're really making it, they're really driving the point home that it's, it's either going to be Mars or Earth. One or the other is going to survive, not both, if he does this resurrection thing. You know, they're forcing him to choose between his home planet and his adopted planet. Yeah, well, that's that's what she's making him do, making him choose. It's like, well, I mean, I guess, I guess because he's not going to choose. You know, it's like he's looking at it like, you know, it's like, you know, you can't make me choose. So that's the, the trigger that makes him fight back. That's like, no, no, you can't make me choose. And she already realized that he was going to fight back against that so that she's got like a backup, you know, alternate mind world that she can give him where everything is absolutely hunky-dory. Well, that one scene with him striking the ground and stuff, that was that was a pretty awesome art scene. And you really felt that the power from it and the tension with him striking the earth so many times. And then, you know, the big white lantern symbol comes in the ground and the huge live. I mean, it was great, great art. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely cool. <laughs> I keep thinking I'm seeing Impossible Man in here. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a resemblance. Can't deny that. <laughs> uh, he's probably back in the corner or something. You know, it is kind of messed up well, that we still haven't seen any of these Black Lanterns. What is this, 12? And they're to what, 17? So six, five issues later, we still have no uh, consequence of them coming back yet. Yeah, yeah. I guess everybody's busy. Maybe you know what? They probably stopped the barricading for you know quick snack clips. <laughs> <laughs> Are they going to kill everybody in there? And start making their own fries? <laughs> Have it your way. <laughs> uh, All right, let's let's wrap this up. Uh, okay, final one. Brightest day number thirteen. Love lost with a wonderful star sapphire image in the center of the portal with hawk man and hawk woman around it well basically we have more fighting as Hawkman goes to war with the uh, uh, bird people I forgot what they're exactly called but you know he's leading the lions against the bird people and the queen who has captured her daughter and Hathset is pretty demented freak he's uh, looking forward to actually killing hawk girl and his uh, upcoming victory, which <laughs> you know how these villains are, it's going to be short-lived. But just, <laughs> just uh, uh, beautiful splash pages of Hawkman being brutal with his maces and throwing down. And then we have a pretty uh, tough crucifixion as uh, Hatset and her mother end up. Uh, Hatset and Shriek, Shriek, right? Mm-hmm. They uh. A shri- shri- shrike or shriek or whatever they they crucify hawk girl to the gate which kind of begins to activate the gate and then we get the real well another origin in how hawkman how hawkman's origin actually relates back to ancient egypt and how some prophecy came through and they found an ancient thanagarian ship so you know they they oh wow 
they get into it, and I just noticed here when they're showing how they created the glove of Horus and stuff, I think that's the scarab for Blue Beetle. Oh. Wow. I think. Huh. Yeah, there's a glove. There's a beetle. It's not blue, though, but... I'm not familiar with the beetle with anything else, but we get the real origin and how the the Hawks were being, and ended up becoming cursed with this endless resurrection and how the Queen was... Basically on a mission, she wanted adventure, and she just, even though she betrayed her husband in Egypt, she was on this mission to find the source of the nth metal and, you know, the whole origin for the Hawks. And Hawkman just bursts in, and of course, we get a awesome, awesome scene with a Hawkman getting beat by his own maces. It seems Shriek, Shrek, Shrike can control nth metal, and since Hawkman and Hawkgirl have been exposed to it for so long there's trace amounts of it in their body so she can actually control their bodies and she takes down Hawkman except for the fact that uh, Hawk Girl uses her legs and break Hatset's net so he uh, he's taken out of the game unfortunately Hawkman is then crucified to the gate as well which opens up the portal and once the queen steps through lo and behold she is on Zamoron and we have Carol Ferris and the Predator there looking on in front of the battery. Pretty awesome, awesome splash page as well. And we cut to Gotham where we have a uh, dead man figuring out that it's time for him to, uh, well, dead man thinks he's figured out who the ring wants and he thinks he's been waiting for Bruce Wayne, Batman. So we have a little bit of a crossover here with, a. Uh, Batman titles as Batman is back. So what did you think? Um, I liked it. I liked it. I, I love the fact that that Shiera, the Hawk girl, uh, actually killed Hathset. Took him out. Broke the man's neck. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, after all the times that he's killed Hawkman and Hawk girl, it's like, you know, it's very, very nice that for, for once they finally get the upper hand on him. And he, Hawkman has this one appearance when he finally, you know, shows up to save her. And he's just covered in blood and cuts and blood dripping off of his mace. I mean, he's there and it's like literally standing in a puddle of blood. Wonderful art. Yeah. Actually, that, that particular image looked very much like uh, J.R.J.R. Hmm. You see it? You see like a slight resemblance there? Slight resemblance. Slight resemblance. There isn't – there's more detail, I would say, in this than the J.R.J.R. would do, but – yeah, I, I feel you. I I could see that. I could see that. So, Zamoron. Back to uh, another point we were making earlier, and I think in like issue eight or nine, with with uh, Hawkworld being this in between between Thanagar and Earth. Suddenly, this portal now is able to connect to Zamoron. She creates a queen creates a portal to Zamoron. Back there in issue eight, when we were talking about, you know, how what we thought about the idea of Zamor, uh, Hawkworld being in between, what if this was somehow the reason how the entities were able to spread out across the universe? Since everything started on Earth, what if there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of these different portals possibly that lead off of Earth to somewhere else. It, it kind of doesn't work since Thanagar doesn't really as far as we know play much into the role of the entities or anything like that. But what do you 
You think there's maybe something there? Uh, well, it doesn't have a role that we know of yet. Um, it would be interesting if that's where the, the rage entity was. True, true. Well, and, and the queen even said, mentioned something about her father's rage. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I it, it's, it's weird. It's like... Why these portals? Why? Yeah. Why these worlds, you know? These connections, especially. Yeah. I mean, we know, and that's another thing. Now that, I, now, now that we're even mentioning this again, Hawkman and Hawkgirl have ties to the Star Sapphire. I mean, it was born out of their union and their their heart. Was it their heart, literally, or just their union? Um, I. So, so there. Well, I just, I just answered our own question right there. Thanagar does have ties to <laughs> Green Lantern because they're they were the source of the love the star sapphire gem so there you go that's that's the connection i don't know i mean like it seems kind of kind of circular in in its logic okay you have earth and you have thanagar and there just happens to be a world that is in another dimension that's the bridge between the two of them mhm so even without space travel if you have access to these, you know, this other dimension, you can travel between the planets. And, and now they needed like all the bones for like 2000 years of all the lifetimes of Hawkman and Hawk girl in order to open up a, a bridge from Hawk world to Zamoran, you know, and the only connection is that, the first set of bones were there. Like, why wouldn't, you know, Queen Shrike want to go back to Earth? Like, why does she want to go to Zamoran anyway? Okay, well, we know that the battery, the cent- there's the vi- Violet Central Power Battery was destroyed in Blackest Night. But I could have sworn in my previous Green Lantern issues that the bodies were found on some other planet and brought to Zamoran. So maybe it's not just. Zamron itself, but maybe it's the battery is why that portal brought them there. Yeah, the the bodies were definitely found on another planet, I, and they were found on Earth. Was it Earth and then moved? I thought. Yeah, they were. They were found on Earth, and oh. Hmm. Hold on. Let me let me grab the bind. Hold on. Of course, that would be the one the one bind I actually lent out to somebody already. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Do you have the trade for the? The star, star sapphire that that arc with Cogro when she got taken over. I do, but I don't. It doesn't. Speci- no, it definitely doesn't say specifically there where the skeletons came from. Okay. Um. No, if it said anything about that, it would be, I guess, somewhere along the course of Blackest Night where where we find out that the bones inside the battery were that of the original, you know, Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, let's, let's just, uh, <laughs> let's just say, okay. And, uh, move on. and move on at this point. This is, this is one of those things that we'll have to evaluate later on in the future and see if it makes sense once we have more information. All right. But it is intriguing. Yeah, it's it's fun to actually just sit there and throw theories out, but I was pretty surprised that the portal actually opened to Zamoran. I wasn't 
wasn't quite expecting that. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, well, I mean, you, you would figure Earth. You would think that would be it. Yeah. Now, the, the origin of Queen Shrike. <laughs> she, she's quite the bitch. <laughs> well, you know, not not every woman goes and betrays and kills her husband. I mean, you know. Takes, takes a special kind of woman for that. <laughs> um, I don't, that's definitely not the, uh, the scarab for Blue Beetle. Uh-huh. Um, cause one thing it's, it's like gold. almost goldish. Uh, and second of all, the, the actual Blue Beetle is like revealed to be like, uh, like an alien device. Oh yeah. This is just created from the nth metal. Yeah. Okay. I looked it up and yeah, it was in Green Lantern 19, I think they did find the, the bodies in the crystal on Zamoron. Really? Mm-hmm. Across the embrace skeletons of Adam and Eve on a long, a world long dead. So yeah, it was found on Zamoron. That's weird. I don't know, like if they touched on that again, as far as how the bodies got there. Well, we well, we will see. But maybe it has something to do with all this. I mean, they're doing a good job of tying, trying to tie it all together. And I'm, I'm I was happy with it. I was like, oh, as soon as Hal leaves, you know, you you can see the whole shared universe aspect of everything going on with Brightest Day. You know, you had that arc with, with, uh, did you guys cover that on the show already? With Hal and Vegas and all that other stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did? Okay, so I'm not spoiling anything if the listeners are listening. But yeah, you had that whole arc with, you know, Carol taming the Predator and and putting it, becoming queen of Zamoron. And then as soon as Hal leaves, we have this issue here, and all of a sudden, bloop, here comes this big problem out of a portal. So <laughs> I, I like it. I, I like when they piece things together like that. Indeed. Indeed. Any other points from the issue? I mean, they, they just seem like really quick reads. I just seem to fly through it, and then it's full of, you know, big splash pages as well. I like the uh, the Resurrection Man cameo. I have no clue who that is. Give us some background. Um. Oh, the the one of the guys that Hawk, uh, that Dove and Dead Man talked to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just uh, this guy who he had a series for a while. His ability is to die and come back with a new superpower every time he dies. A totally random superpower. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting, and I, I don't think we've seen him for quite a while. What? Uh. So he had his own book. Did he? Did he? And he's, is he known for, you know, hanging around any other teams or Justice League or, you know? I don't recall. Um, yeah, I don't remember him showing up anywhere else other than his, his book. I, I mean, like, I guess he has popped up in a couple of things. I know that he had a, a, mil, a number million issue for the DC One Million project. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I can't remember what's happened to him since then. So. Oh, wow. What? Green Lantern 19, once again, if you... There's a panel when they're doing the whole origin of the Zamorans. There's a panel they're watching a monitor, and if you look, you can actually see the Predator. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? Wait. Yeah, I did not pick up on that. Wait a second. Green Lantern 19? Yes. It's right after the page where you see the alien star sapphire and green lantern working together okay yeah i got that page turn to the next page when they're looking the zamorans looking at the monitors 
Who's that right there? Oh, look at that. <laughs> that damn Jeff Johns. Oh, man. Right under our noses. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it, folks. Go back and read your comics again. Wow, that's crazy. Start from the beginning. Start reading Rebirth. Work your way forward. Oh, okay. Well, it's late, and we've made it through Brightest Day, yes. 8 through 13. We end on Batman. <laughs> yes, Batman. Because you know that this is going to have a huge role to play in all the future issues. I'm sorry. I just don't see Batman as any kind of a... Protector of life? Protector of life and anything to do with light. We all know yeah. that he's dark, especially <laughs> especially the beef he's had in the past with uh with Hal. You know, Hal saying he's not afraid of him. You know, bring light to him and all that other stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, this is it's like one more excuse to get Batman into uh, <laughs> another costume, basically for, for another figure. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy! Listen, I'm a sucker for, uh, you know, for those those variant whatnots. I don't know. It's it's late. I'm tired. <laughs> I hear you. A good friend of mine too. I, I didn't even realize he was into making his own um, custom figures too. So I probably need to put you two together because he's he's done some awesome work. Oh, please! I I you know it's funny you said that because today. You know, I was at work and I was just thinking, it's like, man, I want to customize something. Like, I don't know what yet, but I want to customize something. <laughs> let, a while. Let me know. He created a – you ever watch Archer, that cartoon that comes on FX? Yes. Um, the the black chick, uh, the com- comedian chick, what's her name? Aisha Taylor, Tyler Taylor? Yes, yes, yes. Her character, he made a custom figure. <laughs> Of her character and actually gave it to the actress. It was pretty cool. He has a picture with, with her having it and all. And the man does good work. Oh, that's awesome. Who is it? Uh, his name is Veet. He's uh, he's actually a comedian. Lives in Atlanta. He was just actually here this weekend, um, chilling out with us. But uh, I'll send you. I'll shoot you a link for his uh web page and stuff. But he's on he's on the forums too. As a matter of fact, I got him. In, <laughs> I got him into binding. But um. He does a lot of custom, custom. He does custom figures. It's a hobby, and he's pretty damn talented. Cool. Yeah. The one. The what I wanted to you know quickly do before before we get off. Last episode, um, Dan kind of you know made mention as far as we made the Kickstarter goal for uh, Yay! Sean Pryor and uh, the Action Lab Entertainment. That's it. Yes. So. You know, I, I started the thread for people that, you know, were willing to, to back them. And, uh, you know, I, I said I would, you know, say everybody's name on the air. So I don't actually remember where I left off the first time. So I'm just going to go through again. <laughs> and uh, let's see. I did uh, Flash GL78. Uh, Dan, of course. Um, we have uh, BS... Sure, uh, kind of a new guy. The Electric Mayhem. We have up oh, Corwin. Look at you. Oh yeah, <laughs> I heard that dude's cool. Oh, he's he's mad cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Godwin. 
Oh, wow, John got one. Yeah, I think I said the exact same thing last time. <laughs> um, let's see. You guys are giving more. Um, hey, we, we were, we were going to beg, borrow, and steal to help them reach that goal no matter what. Yeah, like the most amazing thing is that they made it, and like within like a day or two, Jason made an appearance on the forum. <laughs> He's true to his word. Yes. And the police haven't caught up to him yet. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's for another episode. <laughs> uh, How to properly dispose of bodies. Yes. Okay, so you have anything you want to pimp, Corwin? Uh, well, there's going to be a new Avengers Assembled podcast. Um, unfortunately, one of our members caught a little case of swine flu. Um, oh, God. He's over in Ireland, but he's feeling much, much better. Um, actually kind of funny, too, because I heard on the news today that people who actually had swine flu have some kind of like super antibodies, so they're kind of more immune to regular flu. But uh, <laughs> uh, he's he's doing great, so we're going to be getting back on that, so look for look for that soon. Um we're having a problem with the RSS feed, which I'll probably get with you afterwards since Lib, Lib's library sync or whatever it's called kind of changed, changed from org to com and stuff. So it's giving uh, Will some problems. So I'll probably get with one of you guys on that. But okay. hopefully we'll get that feed going again uh, to Avengers Assembles. will be a month, monthly thing. Also doing the Merc Report monthly over at culturalwormhole.com and just me going over the Deadpool books could – 20 minutes a month just talking about which books are good, which ones to avoid. And that's pretty much it. Everything else I do for this show, and I've got some fear files lined up. I meant to get that that uh the next one out. I'm not even going to talk about who it is, but that next one out. But uh had a little delay with it, which next episode you, you guys will be hearing that one. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, as uh, we're, we're getting back on track ourselves, so uh, <laughs> it'll be good to have uh, stuff to go on breaks and whatnot. When are we going to um, hear some of those other uh, colored ideas that you've had? I know you had a bunch of ideas. But has any of that materialized? Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of – when I created it, with the idea of the, the different, um, you know, the different segments, it was like it, – it, it didn't start off as far as like, ooh, let me get one for every different color. It was like, okay, well, you know, we we want to do this with the, the Larflees report, um, and, you know, that makes sense. Um, and then, like, I just had an idea for Jackie Nodell to do, because she does the, uh, you know, the review of romance comics on her blog, um, Sequential something or other. Hold on, let me see, because I'd like to give her a shout out. I miss her. Yeah, me too. Well, she's she's very busy, but um, yeah, sequential crush. Yeah, so you know, do a search for sequential crush, or go to sequentialcrush.blogspot.com to see her blog. But uh, yeah, like you know, it just it made sense. Okay, well, we got one for avarice because all the stuff that comes out in a month is stuff that you want. It makes sense for orange, and then you have you know, well, romance comics, a love letter, advice column, makes perfect sense for love mm-hmm. so you know it's like okay well what can i come up with for other things and dan kept on saying it's like no you can't just come up with stuff like that you gotta let it flow organically and i'm like no no i'm gonna get this square peg through this round hole 
<laughs> and I, I took that hammer and I was wailing on that peg over and over again, trying to come up with ideas for new segments. And, uh, like, you know, like the fear files, I think works really well. Oh, we, we completely stumbled into that and it just took off. I mean, we were doing something else completely and just all of a sudden it just clicked and then we just ran with it. Yeah. Um, uh, like, uh, we, I, Billy, Billy Wamsley on the forums, you know, or earth G Billy, he had, he did something for like a blue lantern type idea, but you know, from concept to execution, like, you know, it didn't, it didn't really work out that well. And I don't actually know what happened to the file. (laughs) (laughs) So I apologize to Billy for that one. You know, it was, it was one of those things that like, you know, you know, conceptually it worked better. Um, I, I, I didn't want to throw you under the bus. I just knew you had different ideas. So I was curious if there was anything upcoming. Well, yeah, I mean, at at this point, like, the idea of segments is, like, the way that it was, I think, is definitely, you know, not going to be the way that we do it going forward. But, uh, you know, I I like having segments. I think think it's fun. I think it's a nice break. And if we come up with any that, you know, we can come up with organically, you know, like, like the one thing that I had was, uh, you know, for, like, White Lanterns. And you do like a list of birthdays of listeners for each month. Um, I think that will be fun, but in order to do that, you have to get enough people to participate and exactly. give that information. Exactly. And, you know, I, I know how busy I am, so I can only imagine how busy our listeners are to, you know, take the time out to give their birthday for, you know, whatever reason. You know, so, yeah, you'll definitely see more segments in the future. It's just that they're not all going to be, you know, color specific. <laughs> well, there you go, listeners. And if you have an idea, just get in contact with uh, with Jim. I'm sure he'll be willing to listen to your thoughts. Oh, no. I'm not listening to any more ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you had a flood of ideas like that? <laughs> it's like, no, I got into trouble the last time I listened to ideas. <laughs> Would, would that have anything to do with episode 75? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that was okay. a good episode, though. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. If you want to call us, we have a voicemail line. It's 206-202-1159. I'm glad you stopped saying new voicemail, because every time I read new voicemail, I have to go look at my phone. I'm like, okay, is it the same one I have now? Because it keeps changing and changing but it, it's stable now right for the time being yes <laughs> at this particular moment yet yeah, we actually have a few voicemails um and if we didn't have to cover so many comics to catch up uh, we, we'd probably do those but <laughs> you know we'll, we'll we'll get we'll get to voicemails very soon very soon we'll be we'll be all on track so keep calling if you want to leave a voicemail god <laughs> just going right back to the voicemail thing over and over again uh, we have a website lanterncast.com we have uh, email address lanterncast.gmail.com or you can get in touch with most of us at lanterncast.com with our first name as the uh, the first part Jim, Dan, Jason Chad, James you know there's other stuff there's a forum, there's a Facebook page you can get to all that from our main page. 
you can go to iTunes. All our episodes are on there or on the website. Um, and that's that's about it for now. <laughs> you can tell it's late. <laughs> oh, it is. It's so late. It's been a long day. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But uh, looking forward to the next batch of Brightest Day issues. Uh, we've already got a buildup of what? Another five? I think we have four issues. Yeah, four issues right now at this moment. And next week is the fifth. So, what? What would you say? Mid February, we'll probably record another one. Yeah, that'd be nice. Get another six issues done. Yep. Yeah, maybe slightly before. <laughs> Get five out. Whatever. We'll see. Hey, let me know. I'll be there. Sounds good. Thank you, Corwin. Anytime. Always fun. And uh, that's it for us. Good night.